From Covenant, my uh, buddy over in Vegas, he just red-eyed in. I got in uh, in the middle of the night last night. We're we're both a little tired, but we got manifest fresh off our minds. We I just, just landed. You you literally just landed. You're here with your mom. Is that a first? Has anybody ever brought their mom? I think that, yeah. I think your mom is the first one. We'll have her say hello to everybody before we get into it. On the show, we have Matt here. We're going to talk about what we saw at Manifest. But more importantly, what I really enjoyed in hanging out with Matt is Covenant, large OTR carrier. He got to tell me some of this tech that is relevant to him, what isn't. Helps me put a lot of context to it. So when I talk to you guys in here, he'll share some of his thoughts. We've got a Sal Mercagliano from Campbell University. He's going to talk about what's going on with the cracks in the alliances, how not to tip a cargo ship, and um, maybe if we should shoot down that Chinese spy balloon. Ooh, we got yeah. Troy Larkin at Cedar Brokerage. We're going to dive into the dark world of duty drawbacks, something I used to do over at FedEx Trade Networks. And it's interesting because my panel at at Manifest was on reverse logistics. And one aspect of getting rid of stuff is duty drawback. Duty drawback is you bring imports in if you export them or you destroy them, you can get 99% of your duty back. So there is a uh, cost center model that can go in this as well. And we got Are You Smarter Than a Freight Broker. We're gonna have some trivia, but we'll tip the band and I'll get right to you. And we got a new read this month. Let's see how I do it. We may think of AIT Logistics as an average U.S. forwarder, but in the past decade, they've evolved to become a global transportation management leader, generating nearly $3 billion in annual revenue by providing supply chain solutions for Fortune 500 companies shipping between Asia, Europe, and North America. Despite the company's exponential growth, they are still the experts when it comes to creating customized solutions to fulfill your supply chain requirements. Find out how your business can benefit from AIT Logistics Pros at AIT worldwide.com. Matt, what Tim, is that, brother? <laughs> man. Hey, Great look, here. I we, got... 12 hours ago, we were together on the other side of the country. We were standing outside of uh, a fountain shooting fire and listening Treasure to... Treasure Island. Treasure Island. Yeah, Treasure Island. Talking about freight tech, going on gondola rides in uh, the Venetian. Nuts. <laughs> we were going to go on one. We should have done that. That would have been great for the tape. Yeah, they had the big loop, the big Ferris wheel. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's show, let's, we got a tape right here. Roll the tape. We'll talk you through it real quick. Then we'll get into the tech right here. Are you a light packer? I just do one bag. The great thing about Vegas, too, is when you get in there, they, are, they already want to take your money. They got the casinos. Right there, though, two, two and a half hours, three hours to get to the hotel. The cab stand Uber was a nightmare. Did you experience that? I actually rode with some random person that was standing next to me. We were just making small talk. We rode the same hotel. He said, hey, you want to ride with me? And I canceled my ride and rode with him and saved myself an hour and a half. Oh, that is beautiful. It was nuts. There was like three conferences going on, like builder surfaces, concrete. There was we had a firefighter conference going on, firefighter too. Firefighter conference. There was all these big guys with tattoos that looked like they could beat up people that got out of control. Uh, did you did you see the puppy playpen? Did you stop by Geotis puppy playpen? I did. I've been away from my dog for a month. Yeah. And yeah, I had to do that. What was that your, was brilliant. Was that your, was that, in terms of like luring people in, was that your favorite booth? Well, you know, that really wasn't a transportation logistics booth. I think well, that was like there for, you know, yeah. I think Manifest brought that in. They wanted you to adopt a dog. You know, like, what am I going to do? Put him in my luggage okay, and take him home? Do feels make the deals? 
Um, it certainly, it certainly helped. It reminded all of us about our dogs at home. You have a dog. I have a dog. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Randy has a giant carrot. I have two. I have a 12 year old lab and a, uh, oh, there's uh, Cassandra and Evan Kelly. He was on the show. Yep. There's Radu. He gave me his book source to sold. Um, I had dinner with Cassandra last night. People were asking me like, I don't know, like at my big time was I autograph? No, I would. The only autograph I got was from, from Radu. He signed my book for me. Got these robots here. Does Covenant have anything? Do you, do you guys do any warehousing? You don't. Uh, we do warehousing, but our items are much larger than what would fit on a robot. Did you do any gambling when you were there? That's you us. That was us. That was us going to these after parties. That was the second it is. night. You know what? I did not. It's just not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no ju judging. It's just not my thing. I will say, so I, I'll get the bad out of the way first because oh, there's a lot good about Manifest. The only bad that I had was that unlike- oh, I was with you for that. I was with you for that. Yeah, it's you and that. me. That's you. There you are right there. You're oh, right. So look, there's my bald head. Yep. The, only, the only sort of bad thing I thought was the first day, at a lot of conferences, you're going full speed. At this one, it was more of a setup day. The expo floor mm -hmm. wasn't open. Um, uh, other th and the second night, so Nelly was the third night. Nelly was last night. Um, I didn't stay for that because I, I thought that would be kind of the fly home day. Yep. And I had to come do this show, so I didn't get to catch Nelly. But Hey, I, I'm here. Yeah. I could have done it. But you know what? The second night, it provided us all the time to walk around the city and, uh, and have a great time. We had a good time that night. The good part was it was packed. There was like 4,000 people there, and it was impressive. I saw someone post online, oh, there was nobody at the sessions. That wasn't my experience. At my panel, the whole entire room was full. I, I was on a panel, and the entire room was full. of people standing yeah. up in the back? I promoted I let people know what time it was happening. Yeah. There's also a main, like the, pan, the main stage. They had a big women's. I wasn't there for the women's women, thing. Women's lunch, yeah. That thing was packed in the pantry room. But, you know, they also had an expo floor with a lot of cool stuff, so it was like it was really really buzzing that was one of the best parts yeah yeah that and because you asked me earlier the random conversations that you would have with people that you just bumped into oh like hey i haven't seen you in a while yes there was one conversation i had with a customer it was worth it the entire trip was worth it just because of that conversation that we had there were so many people that um it was almost getting anxiety because there's so many people I like I'd interviewed or had or I know on LinkedIn or I know from Twitter, but I haven't really seen their face or their body type in person. And you feel almost like like face blind because you have people encountering you and they're talking to you about your dog or something you said on the show. And I'm like, I don't know you. I don't know you. But a lot, a lot, no, a lot I did, and it was awesome. I'm so glad everyone and people understand. You're talking to like a thousand people, but it was it was a great time. You got to see some tech though. I'm you just had glad a, you remember me. You, when you bump to, into me on the street. You well, I had to do a sales pitch on your vest. Yeah. Well, someone did. Yeah. Well, I did come from Wyoming when I, you know, to the conference. So what tech did you like? So um, Covenant Logistics, you know, long haul OTR, we um, are spending a lot of time right now looking at autonomous trucking as part of our future, part of it, the industry's future, right? You've had a lot of people on the show. I think you've ridden in a couple of the trucks, um, Torque, Kodiak, maybe. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I've gotten in the Torque. I haven't gotten a Kodiak. I was giving them I was giving them a little ask about that. I was like, you got to let me in your truck. And yep. Gatik, I was like, you got to let me in your truck because Plus has let me in theirs. Yep. Um, and Kodiak, uh, not Kodiak, uh, uh, Torque, who had their big truck. Torque, yep. So uh, I got to catch up with the two people that we partner with, Aurora and Torque. And um, uh, it was great to kind of see the latest and greatest with that. Uh, but you know what? It was great. I connected with um, peers at, um, at Pepsi and at Ryder, you know, people that are also in the autonomous trucking sort of, you know, ecosystem. We spent some time together talking about, you know, this is one of the great things. Like we talk about safety, rising tide floats all boats, AV, we all have to be working together. Um, there was a huge collaborative component to this, even amongst competitors. Yeah. I, I love that, right? Now, you met 
one thing I love about the freight tech scene, our conferences and Manifest had a lot of that vibe too, was a lot of builders. You didn't have mm-hmm. so much of that sort of legacy mentality. You go up to booths and people are really standoffish and the second they realize that you're not someone they can't get something from, they pass you on. You had people who really wanted to evangelize and get their mm-hmm. message out there. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Was there any particular company you liked that you heard? I saw that you posted on LinkedIn about this 30, under 30, this really smart kid, and you had a great conversation with him. Uh, yeah, that was great. So if you haven't looked into a company or heard of a company called Remora, Remora is a startup, a young startup. They're well-funded. Um, they make a device that bolts onto the back of a Class 8 truck, Yeah, attaches directly to the exhaust system, sucks and absorbs 80% of the carbon. Think about that. 80% of the carbon from the tailpipe converts it into a liquid form, stores it in these big tanks. After about six, 700 miles when the tanks are full, they offload it. They then sell that, right? They sell it as a raw material in the concrete and steel, mostly the concrete manufacturing process. Um, it's completely absorbed in the process, so it's not like you're taking it out of the air and kind of reintroducing it to the air, you know, through manufacturing. It actually becomes part of the concrete. I found out they actually we actually mined CO2 out of the ground for the concrete industry. This is a way to take carbon out of the air from the trucking industry. It's amazing. How much does it weigh? It's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's heavy. But does that, doesn't that sort of hurt? When you go and you go to the fleet, right? How do you have to pitch sustainability like a covenant? So, you know, well, because won't so, you get so, pushed back on, on weight and stuff like that? Yeah, but you remember there's sometimes you're hauling uh, bottles of water or, yeah. or Coca-Cola or Pepsi-Cola. And other times you're hauling, like if you're Frito-Lay, you're hauling 5,000 pounds of air. Yeah. But it fills up the entire truck. So, you know, probably not the best use case for everything. Um, but I'm telling you, if, if their product does what they say it's going to do, um, and just to be transparent, I don't own stock. I don't have anything sure. to gain from propping this up. But if they do what they say they're going to do, it is going to be not just disruptive for our industry, disruptive for the country. Disru- I mean, think about it. You could have a truck with this device yeah. and almost achieve the same benefit of a battery electric truck or a hydrogen truck. And you get to keep the range. And so you're still running diesel. My, my brother-in-law, he works in concrete for one of the biggest concrete firms in the U.S. And uh, that's one of the things that they, um, they have to struggle with is – the ESG scores and that stuff, because concrete is incredibly dirty business. Mm-hmm. And um, there's almost no way around it, and everyone needs concrete, but, like, this could be a solution. I wonder how much it generates. I mean, how, I wonder how much of a dent you could make with that. I, I see a picture of, I think that's the Daimler super truck that I saw there. 12 MPG. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Always, it's always funny when you ask the, the people out there, because they, they never want to be honest at first. Like, about, I was like, how many miles per gallon does it get? And he's like, well, it, it, you know, around the, the, it gets double the baseline. And I'm like... What is the baseline? And he's like, well, then you do the math. And I'm like, yes, correct. And he's like, okay, it's about six. <laughs> but you're talking to the engineer. Miles a gallon. Yeah. <laughs> you see, they were so proud of it. But uh, to be fair, there are some significant aerodynamics, some yeah. engine changes. You know, they've moved to an electric compressor in the air conditioner. So does you know, that you're not driving. You? Well, what? The, the MPG? Can yeah. yeah. MPG? Well, of course it does. Yeah. Oh, the super truck. Well, yeah. you know, um, we're always looking to mitigate carbon. We're always looking to improve MPG, um, less fuel. Um, you know, that is a really well-designed truck. You know, it, the ground clearance and everything is so low, I'm not sure that truck would actually be practical because I think one of our drivers or one of anybody's drivers would would rip a skirt off if you had that kind of cl- ground clearance. I, I So I heard a lot of, I heard of a lot of EV pitches to you. And mm-hmm. 
some of them, they pitch too generally. Like they don't understand the needs of an OTR carrier. There, a lot of times these pitches, like this would be a good pitch to say to someone who was maybe in drayage or in short mileage, but not really for OTR. What do you need to hear in a pitch in terms of like what's going on electrification that interests you? Um, so I think the first question would be if I was trying to pitch is what kind of trucking you in are yeah. you in? Because I think most people just assume that we all do the same thing. There's LTL, there's full truckload, there's, you know, we have, there's expedited, you know, Covenant has over 850 expedited teams that are driving 17, 18 hours a day. Yeah. Um, understanding what kind of a trucking company I am would help because if you're trying to pitch me on a vehicle that only goes 300 miles on a charge, takes a couple hours to recharge before you can get back on the road, that's not really gonna work for me. Yeah. And when you try to sort of, yeah, but like, but there is no but, it's just not gonna work. Sure. Like I can't get, across the country in a reasonable amount of time on electrification, even if all those charging stations existed. It is funny when you get the butt, like you're like a random person on Twitter and don't work for a giant major carrier mm -hmm. who understands the needs and is literally like in charge of that sustainability. I think it's, I, I think it's cool though. And I love, I love that you were so receptive to so many of these things. And that was part of, part of the cool part of being there with you. What is the next event you go, you're going? I know you're coming to Cleveland, right? At the end of June? Who isn't? Yeah. Right? Of course. Yeah. Freight Waves, uh, Future Freight. In fact, there was a big Future Freight um, uh, poster in the Chattanooga Airport. There, um, there was kind of one at Manifest, too. No no shade at Manifest, but yeah, yeah. The, name was, uh, the name and the color scheme a little similar. Yeah. Uh, the next thing officially that I'm going to, there's sort of a very uh, carrier-only conference at the University of Georgia. It's oh. called the... Um, I forget the name of it, yeah. but I, I went to it last year and spoke at it. Um, but the ACT Expo which is Alternative Clean Transportation. It's going to be in California. 8,000 people were there last year. This wow. year, it's, they're expected to have even more. If you are a fleet, it doesn't matter if you're Class 8, you know, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. If you want to see the latest in hydrogen, the latest in electrification, the latest in CNG, LNG, the latest in aerodynamics, that is the one to go to. Um, I'll be at that. And um, it's put on by, I don't know who puts it on, but it's a great conference. Lightning question. Yes. Lightning, 10 years from now, most Covenant trucks will run on diesel, ammonia, hydrogen, electric, or... Red Bull. Red Bull. Red Bull. And they'll be on Red Bull. I love yeah. it. I love Red it. You got to do a conference at Campbell University where our next guest goes to. Before you go, your mom has to come up and say hi really quick to this audience. It's such a unique. Can you please come up and say hi to everybody for us? Just come right up here. Yeah, just come right come up. Right next to Matt. Just say hello, yeah. and then you can drive him home. And then, and then we can drive just home. right over this way. Come right over. You can walk right in front of the camera. And then right. uh, I'll go home and live in the basement. Then you'll go home and live in the basement. Yeah, no, I have a home. Uh, yeah. This is mom. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Does anybody ever say so? Come right over here, when, when your parents ask you what you do for a living, yes. and you have to try to explain trucking, and it's like. Nobody my knows. Wife's a doctor. She could say, my daughter-in-law's a doctor. That's easy. Everybody knows what that is. Yeah. Your son's in sustainability, innovation, and trucking. That's a little harder to explain. That is a little harder. It is very hard. To but explain. you've wrapped your head around, it. and I hope we helped you understand a little bit better it's over these past fifteen to minutes. Be here. Well, thank you so you much. I'll let Matt. I will let you get home. I know that uh, you came in on that red eye. Thank you so much. Take it easy. Oh, and I got a shirt. Thank you for the shirt. Oh, you're hat. welcome. Yeah, I. I yeah, we have. Uh, we got shirts in. By the way, I got a new fresh batch of shirts right here. There we go. I, me, on the other hand, I'm wearing this. I'm 27 hours into the same clothes, so yeah. Yeah, I'll let you get home. All right, take great. care. Thanks hey, for Thank by. you. We'll connect again soon. All right, we'll go hang gliding. I love it. All right, hey. Uh, oh wait. Well, before before Sal comes up, we get talking about tech right here. They did not have any drones at this event, although I met the guy from Flytrax. This is not one of their drones, but meanwhile, take a look at this. Got it here, and the bird does not like this drone in its airspace. It's trying to deliver a cup of yogurt or something to someone's house, and the bird says, you know what? 
I'm not having it. We need that bird. We got to send him over to, uh, where's that uh, weather balloon? The Chinese weather balloon now. Send some attack birds up there. You won't see the Chinese messing around like that anymore. Someone said that that is the size of like three school buses. No one is also the size of three school buses. My waistline and Sal's. Sal Mercagliano, professor at Campbell University. What's up, Sal? <laughs> well, what an intro. Thanks. I appreciate that. That's a great one. Uh, you, you, have you, hey, have you had any drone deliveries yet over, uh, where is, where are you by Campbell University? Where in the world do you sit? No, we're just south of Raleigh. So we haven't quite gotten the, the drone deliveries out by me. I'm in a pretty rural area, so I'm pretty far out. So it's not like I'm in the downtown area where you can get drone deliveries. Oh, you gotta like a lot of animals in the backyard. I do. I, I'm, I'm on 15 acres. So every now and then I've had a Russell cat cattle off my back, uh, field. I've had uh, chickens, deer, you name it. It's, 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 it's pretty rural. Man, you got to send me out there for a retreat sometime. We'll go out and uh, play with your your animals. Um, Sal, you posted something really interesting. I like to talk to you because you, like, the great thing about this show is I get to talk to people smarter than me who really know their field. And there was this video of a ship that was tipping over. Can we roll the tape right now? And I want Sal to break down what is happening right here and how this happened. Yeah, so this is a ship in Iran, actually. So Iran had this vessel come in, and we're seeing a rash of these small vessels that are tipping over with containers on deck. And understand for a lot of time, history has had us, we usually put cargo in a ship, but now because of containerization, we can put a lot of cargo on deck. And what's really different here is when you pull a couple of containers off, you're pulling 20 tons off at a time. And because the height is so big on these container ships in terms of where you're putting the weight, you can create instability. And what, what happens here is cargo will shift in the lower hold, the center of gravity gets off center, and you can get a tipping motion. And we've seen this happening in multiple ports where the ships will come in, they'll list a port, then the starboard, and then they just roll. And this, this is really difficult. Right now, a lot of big companies pay a lot of money for very smart people to do cargo loading. But bigger ships, the impact of moving containers isn't as severe as the smaller ships moving 40-foot containers that weigh 20 tons. Interesting. So what happens, to the, what happens when something goes awry like this? Like what happens to the containers? Is that just salvage and insurance loss? Do those sink? Well, a lot of containers will float for a while, and this is a real big danger is that you create air pockets in them and they'll float, and they're, they're hazards to navigation. Uh, you know, they got Robert Redford in a sailboat one time in a movie. Uh, you got to be worried about these things, so you got to go in and get them out. The problem is now they're heavier than before because there's water in them. Uh, you have contamination damage because you don't know what's in them, so you can have hazardous material. You can have pretty nasty spills involving them. And unfortunately, these tend to happen in smaller ports that don't have as robust salvage capability. And so they can create a lot of problems in the ports. And again, it tends to be really on these smaller vessels where you can stack the loads so high and then you start taking off those high loads and you just create the cargo shifting. I don't know if you heard that story that we talked about on Monday. It's been in the news. It was the, the boy, the 13-year-old boy who um, hid inside a shipping container and spent six days inside of it. What would that experience have been like for a human being in a shipping container? Well, it would have been miserable, first off, because, you know, typical shipping containers, depend, they're, they're not ventilated. You're talking about extremes of heat and weather right there. So heat, hot and cold, uh, there's no facilities at all. So you're there with whatever you dump out at the time. If you don't have water, it, it's, I was amazed that, that he actually lived for six days without any really 
supplies at all. I know you hear about this smuggling people through containers. That tends to be really short hauls. You know, it tends to be, you know, across the Mediterranean, across the Caribbean. You don't see this happening transoceanic because of the voyage it entails and, and just the poor conditions that are in these boxes. It's not in, conducive to, to a, a, a long life going across in a container. Well, and thank God he wasn't getting uh, put on that vessel that tipped over. But for people's perspective, this is how containers get loaded. Roll this other tape here. This one is not messed up. This is actually kind of cathartic. This is this is beautiful when it goes well. It's like a, a symphony of logistics happening when we remove these. What is going on there? You're, you're kind of an expert. For people who've never seen a container get picked up, what's happening here? So when you look at the big containers, the containers are loaded in these cells, these kind of rows that you see. And when ships go into ports, what they typically do will offload literally entire bays of the containers. And what you're seeing here is a deep pick down inside the hull of the vessel. That container right there looks like about a 40-footer is in the cell guides. You can see that at the front and back of the container, it's kind of locked into place there. And so what you're doing is pulling that container up. You can't move it forward or back until you're out of the cell, and then you're moving it. A good container operator can move a container about every 30 seconds to every minute. So this is why you have multiple container cranes working at a time. And what you'll do is you literally clean out an entire bay there of boxes, then backload empties and export containers onto them. You try not to work bays next to each other because of the container cranes. But it is. It's a symphony. It, it, it's a whole choreography. It's involved. Understand, at the same time that's going on, the ship systems are, are triggered so that they'll be ballasting the sh sh ship. you got to keep the ship perfectly level. You can't have a list on it. You can't be down at the, at the bow or stern. So there's a lot going on here. At the same time, on shore, you've got the bomb carts picking up those containers, putting them in the stacks. It is just a choreography that's going on. It's really amazing to watch how these ships move this logistics in a port. Yo, I mean, we complain about delays, but when you see what's happening there, that is thousands of containers that are 20 and 40 feet being moved off of a vessel. That is a lot of freight that has to move at once, and it is amazing when that symphony all plays together, and it sounds really good. But you know what? The band is breaking up. Some of these alliances are cracking. What happened, Sal? What is going on? Dooner, in, in my one moment of brilliance I ever had, I, I did the hot seat with Bill Priestley, and I predicted the day before that the 2M alliance was going to break. I will never, ever get that. I should have picked my lottery ticket. Hold on. I day. heard you called me. A, I saw that, and you called me a C student. I will have you know that I have a degree <laughs> in supply chain management from the University of Arkansas, Sal. I, I took a look at that degree, by the way. We, we need to have a little bit of a discussion about the degree. But the alliances are at this point. And listen, uh, I didn't make a huge prediction. Everybody's been talking about this for a long time. When you're the biggest, baddest group on the block, it's going to happen. And matter of fact, when you look at the history of the alliances, the alliances were formed to deal with the big companies. That's why you created an alliance. It was typically smaller companies in the 90s came together. Now, Maersk and MSC are the big ones. I mean, you're talking about 35% share of all containers afloat. And it's not surprising because if they get over 40%, they're in, you got to be worried about cartel legislation and violating antitrust things. So the split isn't unusual. What's going to be interesting to see is what happens afterwards. This doesn't go into effect till 2025. Yeah. Does the Ocean Alliance and the Alliance start breaking apart? Do they start making plays to bring CMA, CGM on board, HMM? 
that's going to be the real kind of focusing. But again, you got two companies that have two vastly different philosophies. MSC is buying everything afloat. They, they, they are just increasing the size of their fleet. They're all in on shipping. Maersk, on the other hand, is trying to become Amazon. They want to do every aspect from, from picking up at the factories and delivering you know, to the home. And so they're in e-commerce, they're in all these levels of, of elements. And again, this is much different than what we saw in 2008 when the economy slowed down. This is a much different environment these shipping companies are in. And you had the CEO of Hopog Lloyd talking about the parties over, but they're still raking in some great profits right now. Isn't Hamburg's, I thought I read Hamburg's suit is, is dead. They're, they're uh, sunsetting that brand name. Hamburg Sud and Sealand are being rolled in. So those were subsidiaries of Maersk. And this is part of Maersk trying to make itself look bigger, too. Yeah. So they're going to you know, paint everything blue, put the seven-point seven star on it, and go. But Hamburg uh, – Hopog Lloyd, excuse me. Hopog Lloyd was the CEO, was talking about that the party's over. And so you know, we're definitely seeing a change in ocean shipping about to take place. Can you – so explain this math to me from the Greg Miller article. It says top nine carriers control 83% of capacity, but the three alliances control only 39%. Why, what's the delta? Yeah. So, for example, not all the, the container lines. So if you look at 2M, you look at Maersk and MSC, they are in an alliance together. But what their alliance is on certain routes – so not all their transportation is, quote unquote, in the alliance. So alliance is when they share a route or they're, they're basically allocating portions of the route. They may have ships on different routes. But I would argue, and this, I, I went a little bit against Greg on just this one aspect about it, is a lot of times they're complementary to each other. They may not be on the same routes, but they are not competing against each other. So it, it's a little bit of, of, of choice in, in how you measure the alliances and the alliances have been very picky about this. They're, they're very concerned about Europe and the United States, especially with the passage of the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, of getting labeled as antitrust and as cartels. So they do their best to basically sit there and say, listen, we don't control everything. We just control a lot, but we're not in control of everything. Are, are they cartels? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean basically everything in, in way they are. I mean, they control basically a lot of the freight rates. They control the prices. They control the routes. Uh, I mean, they, they are everything. But but again, you get a lot of good from this. You know, Lauren Began talks about this all the time is, you know, we benefited greatly from the cartels. We great benefit greatly from ocean shipping. I mean, the, the, the low rates. But, you know, <laughs> there's a cost you pay for that. And that is giving a lot of power to these nine companies. I mean, but they got to be freaking out. I mean, is this what they because during the pandemic, they, you know, up until the pandemic, $1,200 freight rates, right? You know, they, they couldn't sell freight in America. I mean, they could sell it. They just couldn't get it to be much. I used to sell freight. And I remember and it was it was awful because you'd all have the same margins and, it, and all, it all depended on who your agent was with your 3PL. But there was not much leeway. Then the pandemic happens. Everything goes crazy. And now they're right back where they started. Well, they're kind of back where they started, but for one difference is they're drunk with money in their pockets because yeah. they've just made the most profits they ever had. And as I always say, a drunk sailor is a dangerous sailor. You know, what's he going to do with those profits? You know, are they going to invest <laughs> oh, no. it wisely? You know, MSC is buying ships like crazy, you know, whereas whereas Maersk is investing in infrastructure and different elements. And the big variable here for everything is going to be the new propulsion, kind of what you just talked about on trucks and power for that. It's going to be ship propulsion. 
And that's the big issue is how they spend their money on developing these new forms of propulsion. Is it methanol fuel? Is it ammonia? Is it hybrid? Is it LNG? This is the big variable that we just don't know what's going to happen when we get to 2050 and you got to be at 50% carbon emissions. So my last question then, with the alliances splitting up, should 3PLs be put on notice, especially with what Maersk is doing? It doesn't seem like they're looking to play nice with people anymore, and they want the money. It used to be like you had 3PLs, and they would be sales and marketing arms. That's all they did was just sell freight from agents. All they did was resell freight from agents. I've been in that position. This seems like it, it could be a massive change. Like, for example, Maersk, I used to work for Vandergriff. They bought Vandergriff. Yeah, I mean, look what Maersk has done during the supply chain crisis, during the COVID. They basically blocked out the 3PLs. They basically want to be that end-to-end carrier. They want basically a, a vertical integration of all aspects of, of their business. And But some ocean carriers aren't that way. And I think it's going to be an interesting play of which ocean carrier is going to be more open to 3PLs than others. Maersk is not going to do that. But is MSC going to be that way? Is, is CMA CGM going to be that way? And I think you're going to see you know companies basically orienting to these companies. And it may be part of a new alliance that's created that, you know, you team up with a company that's more in favor of 3PLs and another one that's not. Because Maersk is really wanting to basically shut them out. And the question is, do other companies follow the model of Maersk? Maersk is kind of sitting there right now in second place. And I think the Danes are always dangerous. You know, they're Vikings for a reason. Mm. You know, they kind of sit there and buy their time and then they strike. And, And that's one of the things I'm watching right now with Maersk. Well, I don't have a Danish spy balloon for you, but I do have a Chinese one. Roll the tape. (laughs) Okay. That's the moon. It's a little fuzzy out here, and it's kind of a cruddy phone, but it's slightly overcast. But what the heck is that? That's not the sun. And according to my little planet guide, it's not a planet. What the heck is that? Any help would be appreciated. So, Sal, there's a new UFO over America, you know, amateur journalists, even the news are on it. And we're finding out it's a big Chinese spy balloon. What is it doing over the U.S. and should we shoot it down? Uh, Well, number one, Chinese are doing what everyone does, whether with satellites, high altitude or balloons. We use the same thing for a long time is basically send these things up in high altitude to basically get images, get photo- photography. The Chinese are saying now it's a research uh, balloon that's that's loose. We used the same argument in the Cold War <laughs> over the Soviet Union when research. we would l- release I these mean, things. I mean, it's spying research. I mean, it's a softer way of saying that you're doing research. Well, as, as I mentioned to you on, on a tweet and everything, the Japanese used these to bomb uh, the United States during World War II. They couldn't get at the United States. The United States was able to hit Japan. So they put these high-altitude bombs. They put them up into the jet stream with incendiaries and tried to light the forests of the United States uh, on fire. you got to be really careful about deciding whether or not to shoot these things down because airspace is is a very dicey thing. The altitude matters. And we share airspace under agreements with many countries, including China. One of the big things that happened when Russia invaded Ukraine was a lot of countries pulled back from sharing Russian airspace and not allowing Russian aircraft to use their airspace. So if you start popping Chinese weather balloons, you always have the issue of retaliation potentially against our satellites that are over Chinese uh, territory. 
Well, the U.S. Naval Institute, they chimed in on this, and they said that we have shot down these things before. Well, we almost shot down Venus. They said, since Chinese spy balloon is trending, in 1945, the crew of USS New York spotted a sphere that they thought might be a Japanese balloon weapon. The captain ordered it shot down, but none of the guns could score a hit. Finally, a navigator realized they were attacking Venus. <laughs> so, well, again, I think it's better to be attacking Venus than Uranus. So that's always yes. the, the, the thing we want to do. Sal, I will, uh, I will let us, what are you up to next? Uh, where do people go find what's up with shipping on YouTube? Hey, well, you just go right to YouTube and hit what's going on with shipping. Uh, I'm dropping my new episode here in a little bit, our weekly uh, What the Ship, What's Going On with it, my homage to you, uh, Dooner, uh, with What the Truck. Uh, and then always you can follow me on Twitter at Mercogliano S, or you can go over to Campbell.edu, where I teach uh, at beautiful Campbell University in uh, North Carolina. I hope the boys in the back heard that, too, because every time I share these, like, what the things, I'm like, they're ripping me off. And then they're like, no, they're not. You're not that influential. Yes, I am. I, I, it, it's not a ripoff. It is an homage. Remember I love that. it. It's I an homage it. to you. <laughs> I love it. So, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. Go follow him on Twitter and go subscribe to his show on the tube. Take care, buddy. I appreciate it, Dooner. Bye-bye. All right. Got to tip the band one more time here. China, India, Vietnam, Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, Canada, and Mexico. AIT Worldwide Logistics has 2,000 supply chain experts in these countries and, of course, in offices across the United States. And in 2023, they're adding even more locations around the world as this organization continues to expand and make it easier than ever for customers to ship between Asia, Europe, and North America. If you're ready to create a shipping program as unique as your business, and yourself. You can learn more at AITWorldWideLogistics.com. But now I get to take a, bla a blast from the past. I get to jog my memory. I get to go at my old desk at FedEx Trade Networks where I did duty drawback and talk to a gentleman from CETA Brokerage. It's Troy Larkin. He's a customs broker, duty drawback, specialist, mastermind who practices these dark arts. And Troy, you know what? I just did a panel at Manifest on reverse logistics, and I was the only person to bring up duty drawback. Isn't that amazing? Because draw <laughs> drawback has been around for over 200 years, which is crazy. And yet there's still a lot of companies that don't aware are not aware of that and not implementing that as well. So it's amazing. It really is. But that's that's why we do what we do. It's, so, uh, you know, we're custom house brokers, but drawback is the uh, the niche that really is underserved. So I'll, I'll give you a little history here. When I was working at FedEx, my first account was Reebok, but I did imports, air and ocean from them. And it was super intense. And, you know, no one's ever happy when you're doing imports. Everything is always late. Everything's a hot shipment. I break my ankle. I'm out of work for three months. The only thing I can do from home is to look at um, import export documents, right? And uh, they put me over in the drawback department. I came back and I loved it. it there was, you know, you have three years to file the claim. Uh, you're just putting puzzles together. When you call people up, you're like, hey, you're getting, you know, $250,000 back this quarter for your claim. They're always happy. They're like, it doesn't even matter the number. They are always, they're always happy. It is such an easier job. When I was doing it, one of the things like, Actually, why don't you set the table here? Because a lot, like you said, a lot of people don't even know what drawback is. What is drawback? Uh, duty drawback is when goods are imported from outside the United States. Uh, as they're here, they can be further manufactured or go out in the same condition. But it's either an export or it's a destruction here in the United States. And as long as you've got the documentation of goods coming in, your inventory while it's here, and the proof of export of the documentation as well, you can put together what's called a privileges application or apply to customs to say, we want to participate in this type of program, and then they'll audit you as well. But uh, yeah, we do this for companies all across the United States and many foreign entities 
that are importing and exporting outside the United States. Like I say, it's been around well over 200 years. The privileges, I remember, and that was one of the things I learned to write, which was like waiver of past notice or waiver of prior notice. If oh. I remember, this was a while ago. You had accelerated right. payment, right. which was a really good one you wanted them on because you're like, well, you get paid much, much quicker and digitally. And um, shoot, what is the There's third one? What? one-time waiver. And the one-time waiver gives you the ability to look backwards. And you mentioned three years. It used to be uh, the three-year statute of limitations. The new TEFTIA rules and regulations that came out in 2018 allows us now to look back five years, five years retro from import all the way through export, but also filing a claim within that five-year window. If we can gather the documentation, put the privilege application together, we can file for a claim from as well. This is it's so interesting because like what what I learned doing this is that the most basic usage is like we had a car parts company. They would bring a lot of things into the imports into the U.S. They would do some assembly and then they would re-export stuff. And that would be their their drawback claim because they sent it back out of the country to get 99 percent back. But I also had a very high end handbag company and they don't want their goods to end up in TJ Maxx, Ross for less Kohl's. So what they do is a thing called a destruction. And every quarter, they take these super high-end handbags and they literally tear them to pieces or set them on fire. (laughs) We run into that all the time. In fact, uh, it used to be more at year-end we'd run into that, but very, very frequently. But you stop and think about cell phones. I've got a 13 is what I've got on the iPhone, but they've now mastered the 14. But if I've got inventory of a cover or phones that are 10, 11, 12, I can't move these things for the life of me. Yet I've spent a lot of money on them and I've also paid the duty. So at certain points, companies will say, I need to scrap this inventory. And as long as they jump the appropriate hoops, we can make sure we can get the drawback back of exactly that. Those items get scrapped. So that destruction's a big deal. It could also be rejected in merchandise. You mentioned on the, rejo- uh, the Reebok stuff, we've handled a number of uh, footwear manufacturers as well. Uh, you've got a lot of rejected merchandise. Excuse me. Let me restate that. You've got a number of items that are rejected merchandise, not a lot of them. But when they do, they also qualify for drawback as well. You got to jump the the appropriate hoops, but that's correct. Yeah, I remember that one of the things too, and like the topic of sustainability came up. And again, this was a while ago, but it was like, instead of destruction, why can't they do some sort of recycling? And I heard that you can, like Nike had done one where they built a park out of the soles of the shoes and they were able to qualify for duty drawback for that. But it was like an act of Congress. They had to jump through a lot of hoops to do that. Have they brought a more sustainable aspect to destructions in the past decade? Yeah, they have. Um, like I say, in 2018, there was a new set of drawback rules called the new Teftia rules. And under those rules, now you could have items you're going to destroy. You could actually recycle them, you've got to then deduct the value of the recycling or whatever you received on compensation for that. Now you can recycle those goods, but you can still claim drawback on the balance of them as well. You stop and think about Nike. I don't care if they're recycling the rubber, the whatever it is they're doing, very, very low value, very little return they would get. So you carve that out of your drawback capabilities, but now you can actually claim drawback on that. And it's nice to see because, I mean, geez, Congress currently has been pushing Green Deal for the last couple of years. Here now for the drawback world, allows them to be more green, recycle goods that are no longer functional, and still obtain drawback on the balance of it. What is what is the biggest like neg you hear when you try to pitch drawback? Because it's such a no-brainer to me to anybody who is doing a lot of exports or is is, is doing destructions with their they're just destroying their inventory because you get 99% of your duty drawback. It makes everybody happy. And you can go back five years, right? Is it because they don't think they have the inventory? method it's not like that you need like first in first out or you need some sort of inventory method to declare and obviously you have to know your imports and exports but other than that 
Yeah, two real issues, honestly, over time. I've been doing this for almost 40 years now. And the biggest disconnect early on was an importer importing the goods, paying the duties, selling them domestically to another party that exports them. Well, you have to have both your import records and your export records. And what happens, the importer record does not want to give directly the export, uh, the records on the import side to the exporter record because they'll find out where they source them from and also how much they paid. They can circumvent them altogether. So what we did, we recognized this early on. We put together a very, very detailed NDA that says our client, if it's the exporter record, introduces to your suppliers. We go to the suppliers, provide an NDA that says provide us the documentation we will not divulge that to our client and your customer, but we'll claim drawback for the client and get the benefit for it as well. So that was the number one issue. Number two that we still fight today is the company saying, do I really qualify? Can I qualify? And do I have the, the appropriate documentation all the way through? One nice thing is we take a very complex program and we simplify it for them and we eliminate those hassles. They don't have to correlate every given import to I have 10,000 units in these containers. I don't have to show where every every export went to, but based on the methodology, which we said, you mentioned LIFO, FIFO, low to high, whatever it is, we will track that. We'll put that together. We'll correlate the imports to exports, and then we'll file the drawback claims based on what we put together. We just get the imports and the exports from our clients, and we do the rest. With five years being able to go back, because I know when we do our three years, there was always kind of an easy sell on that waiver of past notice because you could go and you'd be like, your first claim, here it is, it's going to be massive. What is the biggest claim you've processed so far? <laughs> uh, multiple millions, uh, yeah. heavy into the seven digits. So yeah, well, lots I'll tell you and that, lots of multiple. Like that, that handbag company, and you mentioned footwear, these are things that have like 25 to 30 plus percent tariffs on them. So it is Absolutely. a massive pullback. It's it's a massive drawback, as the name says. It's funny, too, because people get confused by it. But like the name itself, once you know what it is, is so self-explanatory. Like it's on the notes. Yeah. It's duty drawback. Like you get the duty back. That's exactly right. Very, very straightforward. If you pay the duty, it's a drawback or refund. You can get on that as well. Troy, how do people, like, so people who are listening to this, maybe they are in one of these categories. They have high imports. They have a lot, I mean, they have high import-export uh, tariffs. Um, they have a lot, of, or they have a lot of volume, or they're in that automotive footwear, handbag, leather type of category. Um, who's the prime candidate, and how do they go and approach someone like you about wanting to start up a duty drawback program? You know, we get asked all the time, what's a prime candidate? What's an annual sales revenue that's got to be there in order to make sense? And really, for us, what we look at is we say, if you've got a refundable, about $100,000 to $150,000 a year, yeah. it's a candidate which we would take on. Uh, the biggest thing is you've got websites uh, you can go to, which is uh, cedarbrokerage.com. We do a lot of education through the NCBFAA, uh, NEI, many of the brokerage groups and the accounting firms out there as well. Uh, welcome to come directly to our website at uh, cedarbrokerage.com. But at least you can find out more about it. We've got uh, channels on YouTube that talk a little bit about drawback, and we've got a tremendous amount of information that's there. People can look at it. You know, it's certain industries even, people will say, what's that industry that's good? Well, right just recently, there was a new tax that came out, the federal excise tax, and it's called a super fund, and it's on chemicals, uh, specific in chemicals in the, uh, uh, with fertilizers and uh, also with, um, with fuels. But on these 42 chemicals that come out, it's now the Superfund that used to be applicable clear back in the 80s to the early 90s. It's now resurfaced again, and it's going to be in place for 10 years. And companies are saying, what can I do there? That's refundable. Items that uh, go on cruise ships are refundable. Items that come in and go into cars and shoes and chemicals. I mean, across the board, 
are items in which we look at. Jet we fuel, right? Jet fuel is, is one right. of the places yeah. where um, the, a lot of planes stop in Alaska for the very purpose of uh, duty drawback, right? Absolutely. In fact, we've done a number of air carriers. We've audited theirs as well and, and calculated what's, what's refundable for them as well. Uh, it's such an interesting field. For those of you out there who don't have a program or you work in this business in operations, I will tell you that duty drawback was my favorite role I had in operations or sales. You are putting together puzzles and you're giving people back money. And sure, it can be stressful sometimes putting together the, the right claim. But at the end of the day, you are always making someone happy. And it's just so much better than dealing with the import side. If people want to get happy, they want to draw back some of this money that they're leaving on the table. Where do I send them to? Well, send them, send them our group as well. But one, just one note, most of the times when you have uh, individuals that are finance side of the business, they'll take a look at it and say, wait a minute, we view our expenses in the past as sunk cost. We can't get anything back with them as well. So when we talk to them and we educate them and help them understand, we can look retroactive five years on the duties that were paid. They get excited about that because now we're recouping part of their sunk cost. They can definitely add dollars to the bottom line. Hundreds of thousands, not multiple millions of dollars for the clients, which we deal with. Um, again, uh, we've got uh, two webinars coming up here pretty quick. We've got one through the FCBF uh, AA. It's going to be uh, on February 9th. We've got a classification webinar coming up on March 2nd. Again, education-wise, cool. you can definitely contact us there as well. Very cool. Thank you so much, Troy. Thank you for your time. We'll get deeper. We should start like a series on this. We'll get deeper into uh, drawback next time, but I wanted to give the audience here a little bit of a primer on it for, for Friday, something to think about, and I appreciate you for helping with that. Absolutely. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate Take it. Take care. Good stuff. Uh -huh. All right. All right, now it's time. It's time for the big trivia challenge. So in Slack, in here in Freightways, we recently instituted this like trivia Slack bot and it goes off at like 520 every day. I always miss it, but I always see the results. And there are always two people near the top. These two ladies are always fighting it out. It is Brielle Jacquel and Mary O'Connell. Hello, ladies. Oh, how are you guys? And full disclosure, I work pretty closely with both of them. Mary helps me um, put the technical side of my newsletter into something, and BJ edits uh, Back the Truck Up and uh, some of my stuff once in a while. So very familiar. By the way, you would have loved that um, women's lunch at Manifest yesterday. Uh, I wasn't there for it. I saw videos, and I, I heard from some of the ladies in attendance, but I heard it was really powerful, and it went over well. Yeah, I mean, I'm a sucker for any good woman in logistics, women in trucking luncheons. Um, the lunch is usually on fire, and you usually make some pretty good friends in those. So I might have to check it out if I'm at Net Manifest next year. All right. Well, let's find out who the smartest women woman is, <laughs> not me, <laughs> in, in Freightways. All right, we got question number one here. And let's roll the tape. What was the original pre-order price of Tesla's Cybertruck? Raise your hand. And I'll call on it. Oh, no. Uh, All right, we're going to go with Mario. What do you got? Yeah. I think $90,000. All right, well, how about you? One, $150. You're going to hit it with the buzzer. Buzz the buzzer off today. It was $100. It was $100. Although, after seeing that video, I'm probably going to cancel my pre-order and get that uh, Toyota Sienna for the kids and the dogs and the <laughs> wife. That I've been getting too much heat on the cyber. And it looks kind of, what do you guys, do you think that looks good? I think the back looks awful. Um, I have never personally been a fan of the Cybertruck since I first uh, heard about it. I thought it yeah. looked kind of dumb and it looked 
stupid. So um, I would be happy if they ceased trying to make them all together. But so, I mean, some, yeah, some, pe- some people theorize it, it may not come out. Yeah, it does kind of look like a PS1 just graphic. And now it's getting ugly when you have to put it on real roads because you got to put the safety stuff on there. And it just doesn't work with those sharp lines. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-mm. Okay, here's all right. This might be a little more in your wheelhouse. Question number two. It's zero zero. What does LCL stand for? You know LTL. What is LCL? It is Mary. Less than container load. So it's like if you have less than a container on a ship. Give her the positive. We got a positive buzzer. Positive. Yeah. Woo. All right. We'll just be me. I'll be the buzzer. All right. It is one nothing. Mario is leading the charge here. Let's take a look at a truck fire. See this thing burning right here? What do you think the number one cause of a truck fire is? Um, Hot plates. <laughs> Hot plates. No. no. <laughs> Mario. I'm going to say um, an accident or uh, like getting in a car accident with someone else that makes something explode or improperly, um, you know, still putting stuff in the trailer. Yeah, hey, sorry, you're wrong. Beep. Uh, Frazier says coolant. That's not that's not true. The closest was BJ. Uh, it's electrical. It's it's the pre-trip and the electrical, mm-hmm. a lot of the electrical, and it just sets it up in flames. Um, Oof. I know. One, I hope one of those Tesla semis doesn't go up. If you ever see them try to put out the lithium ions, that can be a little, uh, a little hairy, ladies. All right, here's one. Here's one you should know. Here's one you should know. The Ever Given got stuck in the Suez in 2021. But which evergreen vessel got stuck in the Chesapeake Bay last year? Oh my gosh. Uh, I literally wrote about it. I did too. It's BJ. What is it? It, It's. Wait. Oh, I got it. I got it. Got it. All right. You can have it. Go for it. It is the Ever Forward. That was a good one. I wanted to say forever. Oh, the forever forward? <laughs> Wait, guys in the back, are you giving score? Is it now? Is it two, is it two to nothing, Mario? Yeah. Two, two to I'm nothing, Mario. Apparently, a blood go this way. Okay. Well, let's see who's let's see who's uh, in this this one question here. What upscale grocery chain did Amazon buy in 2017? Mary. Oh. Whole Foods. Okay, I'm gonna put a bonus here because you're you're right. You are right. Uh, for how much? Three billion Both of you can raise. Three billion dollars? Too low. BJ? Too low? Oh, I was gonna go with three million. Five million then. Thirteen billion dollars! Thirteen billion dollars. So Mario, she is now what? Three nothing. Alright. Yes. Let's get it. Oh, this is a little bit more. Alright, but hold on a second. Now we're getting into the OK Boomer questions. Courtesy of Joe Speezy. What 2019 movie was criticized for its CGI character depiction causing a complete redesign of that character? It is BJ. Sonic the Hedgehog. It, it is Sonic the Hedgehog. I loved that movie too. D- did you? Did yes. you see what, the original design? It was terrifying. It was, it was terrifying. No, did, you, did you see part two? Uh, I didn't know. Uh, I it was watched without me on a plane as I slept, so I'm pretty salty about that. How do you can you even claim like that's like I was just that's like me claiming like ah, I was sleeping while everyone else on the plane was watching X, or no, someone I, you no, were I sitting next to was watching it. 
No, or you put it on uh, TV my fiance was watching it without Oh, got me you. Got you. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, you're, you're clawing your way back. And here's another one for you. Name any three Disney princesses introduced from 2009 to now. BJ. Uh, Princess Tatiana, um, Moana, and, oh my God, my favorite. <laughs> Hold on. Princess Anna. Anna. <laughs> okay. I don't you know what? Also, you were close. I'm going to give Mary O a chance here because you said one person's name slightly wrong. I, I corrected myself. Yeah. I corrected myself. Oh, okay. Oh, Tiana. No, okay. No. Uh, it's, what? I was going to say it's Tiana, not Tatiana. Yes. Because Princess oh, Frog right. is one of my absolute favorites. Yeah. So I was going to just say, like, I'll give you the point because I'm a nice person, but also put some respect on Princess Tiana's name. But I, I was, have you seen that viral clip from Wheel of Fortune where like the dude just slightly mispronounces the name, like barely mispronounced mm-hmm. what he was reading and they didn't give him the million dollars. Like yeah, he said, I, would be super- I mispronounce things all the time. I would be so screwed on that show. <laughs> all right, so it's, it's two to three. This is great. Okay, what film was mistakenly announced as best picture at the 2017 Academy Awards only for it to be revealed that Moonlight was the actual winner. BJ had her hand up. No, I'm... Go ahead, Brianna. No, she Mary had up. it first. Okay, Mario. Uh, it's La La Land. It's it La is La La Land. It is La La Land. Okay, I'm going to give you three more because we have time and we're going to go... Which category? We already went... We'll go Millennials. We'll go Millennials. And I'll go with the, the three okay. first, three random oh, ones. Here we go. It's, it's nice evenly matched. Okay. Yeah. This is from the entertainment category for Millennials. What is the name of SpongeBob's arch nemesis that owns the chum bucket? Mario. Um, uh, Plankton. Ah, you got it. You got it. What phone revealed in 1999 became popular for its ability to receive push email? BJ. I'm torn between two. I'm going to go with the Blackberry. You're right. You're right. All right. We got to keep going here. What new standard for audio compression? The third format of the MPEG-1 standard became prominent in the late 90s. Mario. MP3s. It is MP3s. Napster? No, that's the last one. All right. All right, we'll go one last one. Why is this science? What year did Apple release its groundbreaking iPhone for the true winner? BJ. 2006. You got Mario. 2008? It's 2007. We've all lost Seven. today. No, we've all won because we I, got to meet two great people. Before I let you go, um, BJ, BJ, really quick, you put out a great article about the Wienermobile. Can you tell everyone where they can find that and what you're writing next? Oh, well, you can find um, everything I write about on Freight Waves uh, in the classic section. So, uh, yeah, I basically just cover all all kinds of interesting history in the freight world. Uh, right now I'm working on the Pony Express. What's the most interesting thing about the Wienermobile that someone would learn from that article or that you learned while researching it? Like a Chinese spy balloon. Oh, um, that they had to park it for years during World War II because of gas, gas rations. Hmm. Seems a little excessive when gas is, you can't just go ride around the Wienermobile, piss everyone off. Yeah, what about, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> what about you? What about you, Mary? What's going on with Check Call and, and uh, running on ice now, too? 
Yeah. So actually, if you just keep watching Freight Waves TV after this, like just don't go anywhere. You'll get Running on Ice, the brand new episode that comes out today at two o'clock. The newsletter will be, or I'm sorry, the show comes out at 2.30. The newsletter is going to hit your inbox at two o'clock. And then um, if you're bored on Tuesdays, it's all Check Call all the time where we have a new episode of Check Call right here on Freight Waves TV at 12.30. And the newsletter comes out at two. Um, You can always find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. My DMs are always open. I love a good hot goss. All right. Well, she was... And a Wienermobile. And all that stuff. Unless there's a gas shortage and the gas is getting better, you can find her show on demand. Also, just like What the Truck, you don't have to make an appointment with us. Listen at your own leisure. You can find this show and actually every show on Freight Waves in audio by subscribing to the Freightcast feed, or you can just get What the Truck individually by looking up. Download the Freight Waves. Find me on Twitter, at Timothy Dooner. Don't be a stranger, and have a nice weekend.